0: dive into psalm 16 this morning i don't think i've taken the opportunity yet um, to publicly in your presence thank the lord for the birth of my daughter and that is many of you know is a product of god's kindness to our family so i celebrate god's grace this morning and i'm glad that she is somewhere in this building with my wife though not in the sanctuary right now thank you all for praying for her um praying for her safe delivery god has answered All of our prayers from the very beginning, we were praying one of the Psalms, Psalm 139, that God would knit her in together in her mother's womb, and he would make her fearfully and wonderfully, and we believe she's done that, or he's done that for her. So, praise the Lord. Secondly, my wife and I will be taking a trip this week um, down to Panama City, Florida. Later uh, this week, we fly out on Thursday, and I'll be preaching a a singles conference retreat for Hunter Street Baptist Church, which is a, a church in Birmingham. Alabama, and appreciate your prayers for that. I'll be, I'll be speaking on the theme of abiding in Christ, and we're looking forward just to getting away with Piper and having some R&R and also being able to, to minister there, so appreciate your prayers for that. We're in Psalm 16 this morning. What is the path of life? I suppose if you ask that question... Of a hundred different people, you may get fifty to a hundred different answers. For some, the path of life is conformity to a moral standard: hard working, great family, beautiful house, lots of stuff, as many vacations as possible, minor inconveniences. No surgeries, no bad health, retire in Panama City. For some, that might be the path of life. For others, the path of life is get out of Dodge as fast as possible, head to Las Vegas, Nevada, gamble, enjoy life, experience things, travel, go to exotic places, go to faraway places. Go to places that nobody has heard of. Go to places that maybe not even be places and see what's there. Kind of that pioneer exploration kind of spirit. I wonder what you think the path of life is, where it is. I would say this. If we're stuck without God telling us what the path of life is, then all we got is guesses. All we've got is guesses. And one person's guess is as good as another person's guess. But we have a God who's created this world, and we have a God who created you, me, and he has divinely revealed the path of life. He has made known the path of life. And it's in this psalm this morning, in Psalm 16. If you're visiting with us, we're in the psalms all summer. We're taking various psalms and asking the question, of them, what do the psalms teach us about the human condition, and what do we learn from how, about how to walk with God from watching the psalmist do it? And our psalm this morning is a psalm where David teaches us where the path of life is found. In verse 11, he says to God, you make known to me the path of life. We're not certain the context of the psalm. Last week we looked at Psalm 63 and the subscription on that psalm, the the heading on it, was very clear that it was written when David was in the wilderness. Here we're not so certain. In fact, all we get is that this psalm is a mictum of David and there's some debate even about what the term mictum means. Um, In some of your Bibles it may be footnoted that it's a musical or liturgical term. That's quite possible. Some writers think that mictum is similar to the Hebrew word for refuge or covering. And so they call this psalm one of David's refuge psalms, one where he's on the run and he's trying to seek covering and shelter. I don't know if we can be certain about that. But we know this from the psalm. David is being tempted to abandon God. And he's fortifying himself in this psalm with reasons to not do that. We see from verse 3 and 4, that he's being tempted away from the people of God toward those who run after other gods. And he's actually reminding himself that those who do that will inevitably have sorrow. He, he, we see himself in verses 5 and 6 reminding himself of what who God is and what God has done for him and how God has presently led him to this point in his life. And then he looks to the future and realizes that God has already made known to him the path of life and life is going to end well for him. So he's reminding himself of all the reasons why he will not abandon the Lord. And the main reason is because he has found the path of life. I want to ask three questions this morning of this text concerning this path. First, how do I get on the path of life? Second, what is it like on the path of life? And third, where does the path of life end? So how do I get on the path? How does it begin? What's life like on it? And then where does it end? And then at the end I want to want to call us to get on the path. We're on the path to stay on the path. So number one, how do I get on the path of life? I believe David helps us in verses 1 to 4, understand something of what it means to get on to this path of life. Look at verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. See, David is obviously being pursued or something is happening where he's consciously moving toward the Lord in prayer and asking God to preserve him. He's taking refuge in God. And then he reminds himself that God is his Lord and that he has no good apart from God. That he's not going to seek for good anywhere apart from God, though he may be being tempted in those moments to do that. Then in verses 3 and 4, he reminds himself that the saints in the land, those who are God's people, are his delight. They are the true excellent ones. And then in verse 4, he reminds himself of the opposite, that the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. And he's not going to participate in their worship. Their drink, drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. So what do we learn about how to get on the path of life? I see three things here in this, these first four verses. First of all, we get on the path of life by acknowledging that we need God to save us. We get on, that's where the path of life starts. Notice what David is doing. He says to God, Preserve me, keep me, save me, guard me, help me, for in you I take refuge. No one will get on the path of life until, number one, they know there is such a thing, and number two, They recognize that they have to go to God. Life situations, difficulties, problems will bear in on a person and cause them to do one of two things. Seek God or trust in yourself. Fix it yourself or seek the Lord. I'm telling you, the path of life is not found in that first option of resting in yourself and relying on yourself and trying to fix things yourself. Not found there. Path of life is found first of all in acknowledging you need a Savior. You need someone to come to your aid and rescue you and keep you and save you. That's what David's modeling for us here. When trouble, difficulty comes into David's life, he seeks the Lord. He runs to the Lord for refuge. Notice he's already made the Lord his refuge, and he's going back to the Lord and reminding himself and asking God to preserve him because he's made the Lord his refuge. Who's your refuge? You all have a refuge. For some of you, it's a thing. For some of you, it's a person. For some of you, it's a job. Your refuge is what you look to to rescue you from the difficulties of your life. That is your refuge. Everyone has one. And David is saying, my refuge is. And the troubles of life is God. So that's where the path of life starts. It starts by acknowledging your need for a Savior. But it also involves submitting your life to God's control, doesn't it? Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Okay, let's just get this out on the table this morning. I mean, crystal clear. Jesus is not the Lord because you say he is. God is not the king of the earth and the creator of the ruler of the earth because people believe in him. God is. Contrary to what the bumper sticker says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's not right. God said it. That settles it. Doesn't matter whether you believe it. God is the Lord. The one to whom David is praying is the one and only true God. He says to the Lord, you are my Lord. That's a different step. It's one thing to know that God is the Lord and that you could follow him. It's another thing to do it. It's another thing to take yourself off the throne of your life and put Jesus there. That's how you get on the path of life. Submitting your life to the sovereign control of God. Whatever God says, that is what I will do. You submit the control. You get out of the driver's seat and let God sit there. You stop seeking refuge in other things and start seeking it in God. You stop looking to other things to protect you and start looking to God. You transfer your allegiance from yourself and your way to God and his way. David says that a number of different ways in this passage. Look at verse 5 where he says, the Lord is my chosen portion. I got a lot of different options out here, a lot of different portions that are offered to me. The Lord is the one I choose. He says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. So God instructs him through the word of God and he receives it and obeys it. And then in verse 8, he says, I've set the Lord always before me. What does that mean? I'm right behind him following him, set him before me, and walk after him. That's what it means to get on the path of life. We acknowledge our need for a Savior. We look to God to be that, and then we submit our lives to his control. We say to the Lord, you are my Lord. But there's another thing, because I have no good apart from you. That means we look to the Lord And we see in him irresistible attraction. It's not some sort of like God is the Lord and he's looking down on you and saying, I made you submit to me. That is certainly true. But what's drawing David here to submit his life to the lordship of Yahweh is that he sees no good apart from him. All the goodness that David desires, all the life that David wants is wrapped up in God. So that's what will lead you to submit your life to the lordship of Christ. And if you have, which most of us have here, if you have submitted your life to the lordship of Yahweh or God, then you did it because you saw that he was good. You saw that it would be advantageous to do that. You looked at other options, and you said, no, that's the best one. That's the best one. And that's what led you to the Lord. You saw no other good apart from God. So we get on the path of life by acknowledging our need for a Savior and by submitting our lives to God's control, but also notice verses 3 and 4. Finally, we get on the path of life by becoming a part of God's people. As for the saints in the land, that is not referring to some spirits of people in heaven. It's talking about God's people on the earth, referred to as saints. The New Testament refer, repeatedly refers to Christians as such. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So David is looking and saying, look, who are my people? God's people are my people. I look at two different camps. We've got God's people, and we've got those who run after other gods. Get this, everybody's worshiping, and everybody's religious. There's only two kinds, those who run after the true God and those who run after false gods. Everyone's running after gods because they're all running after things they think are good that will protect them and save them. So when David looks at these two groups, he says, okay, these are the excellent ones, the saints of God. Those are the ones whom I delight in, not these, not those who run after other gods. I will not worship with them. He doesn't say he won't be around them. He says, I won't join in what they worship. That's the language of their drink offerings of blood. I'm not going to pour out. I'm not going to join in their sacrificial activity to appease their gods. I'm not going to take even their names on my lips. Whereas we once ran with the crowd after other gods. Those could be good gods, meaning gods that our society approves of or those could be bad gods. But whereas we all once ran after other things other than God, wanting to do our own thing and live our own way, and we reap the sorrow that came from it, we now no longer worship with them. And instead, we join ourselves to God and to his people. Our friendships change. Not that we don't still care for and love those who are not part of God's people. We are to do so. But our deepest friendships change. The ones we look up to and want to be like change. Notice what David says. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. They are the Hollywood stars of my life, the saints of God. They are the ones I want to imitate and be like and live up to. That's what I want to be like. That's what happens when you get on the path of life. Your admiration changes. The people you want to imitate change. The people you want to be like and worship with change. Just like I said, get it right. Everybody's worshiping, and everybody's got a crowd with them to do it. This is not unique. Happens at football games every weekend. The worship experience. People gathering together in the name of to worship, to celebrate a particular God who will save them and rescue them from their miserable existence. Because if the Eagles ain't winning, I ain't happy. Or whatever. Not the Eagles for anybody in this room, I don't think. Dave Goodwin or Ron Miller. they're from um, But whatever the case may be, David says, look, I've, I acknowledge my need for, for the Lord. I submit my life to his control, and I cast in my lot with the people of God. That's how you get on the path of life. So where are you on that path this morning? Some of you are not on the path yet. You haven't acknowledge your need for a savior because you haven't come to christ some of you are on the second you have acknowledged your need for a savior and you have submitted your life to god's control but you're not a member of a church you're here and just kind of amorphously a part of this group but you haven't covenanted to be a part of god's people And I'm going to say you're in a non-biblical position. The Bible pushes you toward membership in a local church. Whether or not that's here, that's between you and God. We're not saying it's this church. We're saying you need to put yourself and make yourself accountable to people. Put yourself under pastors and make yourself accountable to other Christians. They know me. They see me. They observe me. I live with them. I dwell with them. They are my people. That's what you need to do with God's people somewhere in this community. And if that's here, we're thrilled for that. And we encourage you to talk to us as pastors saying, I want to be a part of this church. I want to join the church. What's the process like? How do I do that? And for some of us, this is just a fir- I-, I want to affirm you that if you have acknowledged your need for Christ and you are presently submitting your life to God's sovereign control and you are a part meaningfully of this body, which most of you are, you are on the path of life. You have begun on the path of life. Here's what James Boyce says. This is a practical matter, for it's a way by which we can measure our relationship to the Lord. Do you love other Christians? Do you find it good and rewarding to be with them? Do you seek their company? This is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will love the company of those who love him. Those who find their good in God Will also find good in those who likewise seek him. Again, do you find it uncomfortable to be with those who sin openly? Are you troubled by their values, shocked by their desires, repulsed by their blasphemies, or are you at ease among them? If you have no difficulty warming your hands at the fire of those who are hostile to your master, it's because you are far from him. So that's how we get on the path of life. We acknowledge our need for a Savior. We submit our lives to God's control, and we become part, meaningfully, of God's people. And we begin to delight in the Lord and his people. Second question, what is life like on the path? What's it like on this path? Let me say this from the context of the whole psalm. It ain't an easy path. It ain't an easy path. And why do I say that? Because the whole psalm is a psalm about David being in danger and David having to seek refuge from trouble. Mark this, and those of you who have been a Christian a long time, longer than me, you know it well. Christian life is hard. Following the Lord is countercultural against the stream kind of stuff. Living. David is probably on the run. He's seeking refuge in God. He's trusted God and he follows God, but he finds himself in really hard and unexplainable difficult. And such is the life with God. You should expect nothing different. One of the, Strangest things that people think is when they get on the Christian life, when they say, okay, I'm going to acknowledge my need for a Savior, and I'm going to submit myself to God, and I'm going to become a guard of God's people. And then two weeks later, something catastrophic happens. And they look at God in the face and say, "I, I did what you wanted. And now you treat me like this? See, you misunderstood the path altogether. You expected ease. God doesn't promise you that. The path of life is in many ways a path of progressive death so that life might come because we follow a crucified Savior. We follow a Jesus who treated people good and got spit in his face. We follow a Jesus who loved his enemies and got killed for it and he says follow in my train so yes we should expect hardship we should expect difficulty we shouldn't be surprised when bad news comes health issues arise difficulties at work difficulties in the family difficulties in the church when that kind of we are the objects of satanic assault so we should not be surprised when god in his sovereign wisdom as well orchestrates and designs our suffering for our ultimate spiritual good. He designs it that way. There are many, many texts we could go to. Just consider the life of Joseph for a minute. If ever there was a guy that laid his life down in service to God and got nothing but bad treatment for it, it's Joseph. Maybe Job's a close second. But just read the Bible. David's an accept, He's he's a prime example here. He's the king of Israel, God chose him, and then he's experiencing all this. Joseph lays his life down. Go is in Egypt, serving faithfully. Refuses to even have sex with Potiphar's Potiphar's wife, or Potiphar Pharaoh's wife. Potiphar's wife. Yeah, and refuses. This is not in the notes, by the way. Refuses to have. You can tell. So he just. But refuses that, maintains his integrity, and gets thrown in prison for it. Job, blameless man, has his house crushed and all his kids die. And then afflicted with boils and skin problems. And I think, I mean, it's so easy. You look at the Lord and say, I was following you. And, and God just said, Look, read your Bible, okay? identify with the people of God all through the centuries and identify with my son, fellowship in his suffering. So we should expect the same. It's not an easy path, but let me say this. While there are difficulties, and while through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, as Acts teaches us, there are blessings that come from God by being on the path of life that make it all worth it, all of it. And here are four of them, quickly, and that they're answered in verses 5 to 8. These are some of the blessings that David reminds himself of. First of all, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. He's reminding himself that he has God. In the midst of all the difficulties of his life, God is with him and for him. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. What's that mean? The cup that God has handed him and told him to drink is coming from the hand of God. It's, it's, the Lord is my cup. He, he is the one who holds my life and has determined my destiny and guided my life. Does you hold my lot. The imagery of, of land and the division of the tribes and the land in, in the book of Joshua is really clear in these few verses, 5 and 6. Portions, lots, the lines, I have an inheritance. All this is imagery of land being divided up. And he's saying, when the land of life and the world gets divided up, God is my portion. God is whom I've received as my inheritance. The lines, that is the division, the boundary markers, have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful, a beautiful inheritance. That is, I have a rich, full, abundant life. Though around me is nothing but trouble. You know, we love to preach. You know, you see different things. You know, some preachers will preach the rich, abundant life. And some preachers preach the trouble life. And I'll tell you this, the rich, abundant life comes in the midst of the troubled life. It comes in the midst of the difficult life. It comes in the midst of not on an easy road, but on a narrow way that leads to life. Well, there's no, there's no, don't hear a, a contra, uh, like a contradiction between a troubled life and a rich, abundant life. Actually, they come together as you go with God through the valley. So God will preserve His servant, David, God is involved. God will provide for him. Verse seven, God will guide him. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel and the night also my heart instructs me. Thanking the Lord that God has spoken and communicated to him clearly so as that he's able to look at God's word and God's counsel and receive all that he needs to govern his life by and order his life. God has not left him in the dark. how he's supposed to respond and live in the midst of these troubles. And we can thank the Lord for that. Every potential adversity, Christian, that you will meet in your life has a sufficient and promise-laden message from the Word of God for that particular struggle. God will meet you, help you, equip you, strengthen you, get you through that. He won't answer all your questions, but he will give you More than enough to overwhelmingly conquer in the midst of those troubles. Through his word and through the presence of his Holy Spirit and through the comfort of his church, he will give you all that you need. So God will preserve us on the path of life. He will provide for us all that we need to experience life as it was intended, as it rich, abundant. Like Jesus said, I did not come to, thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, John 10. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, God will preserve, God will provide, God will guide, and then finally, God will guard. Verse 8 I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. This is a picture of strength and security in the midst of a world of vanishing illusion kind of dreams. No place is secure feels like you can't put your foot anywhere and land on solid rock. David says, I put my foot on God. It's unbreakable. I'm unbreakable. I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. So what's life like on the path? Well, life on the path is not easy, but it has God with you, in you, for you, supplying you with everything you need as you're on it. You have God on the path no other path in the world can you definitively say this path is all god god is on this path but david says it god is on, he he writes it all the, all the time right verse 5 the lord is my chosen portion my cup my lot he's my inheritance verse 7 i bless the lord who gives me counsel verse 8 i have set the lord always because he is at my right hand i shall God, 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 on the path. So God is on this path. That's really all you need to know. Augustine put it this way. Let others choose for themselves portions, earthly and temporal. The portion of the saints is the Lord, and his portion is eternal. Let others drink deeply of deadly pleasures. The portion of my cup is the Lord. Where did Psalm do you think he was getting that from? Probably this one right here. He looked and he said, All those other portions that people could offer to me, they're temporal, they're fleeting, but the portion of the saints is eternal because it's the Lord. That's their portion. Finally, how do we get on the path? What's life like on the path? Where does the path end? Here's the third question. Where does the path end? and verses 9 through 11 give us that answer. Therefore, my heart is glad. Remember, he's not in an easy situation here. This is not rosy. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. This is not this is not a little bit of joy. This is solid, full joy. My whole being rejoices. My Flesh also dwells secure. Why, David? Why is your heart glad? Why is your whole being rejoicing? Why is your flesh dwelling secure? Verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul, the Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So where does this path of life end? It does not end at the grave, which can be said for no other path. Every other path that offers life to you will end when you die. So it's not a path of life, is it? Because the path of life, it has to begin with life. And our path does. Our path begins by resurrecting dead people. Because the only way you acknowledge your need for a Savior, the only way you submit your life to the sovereign control of God is if God raises you from the dead spiritually. So it begins with life, and then it's sustained by life. God infusing strength and power and help with you on that path, and then it ends by ushering you into life. That's why we can call it the path of life. It's life from beginning to end. But it does not end at the grave. The grave will not be the last word for God's saints. And those who have gone before us that we love, they know it better than all of us that the grave was not the last word. David does not say here that he's not going to die. He says God's not going to abandon him. when he does. Do you have that hope this morning? Do you have the confidence that when you come to die, God's not going to abandon you? If you're not on the path of life, you can't have that. If you haven't acknowledged your need, if you haven't submitted your life to God's control, if you haven't become a part of God's people, if you're not currently walking with him, seeking his counsel, setting the Lord before yourself, following after him, what confidence can you possibly have that at the end of your life, you're going to be ushered into the glorious presence of God? You didn't get on the right path. But notice that David says that though he won't, that he will face the grave. That's what Sheol is all about. He will place he will face the grave. He's not going to be abandoned there. Because God's not going to abandon him. Rather, he's going to be ushered, as verse eleven says, into the full and forever presence of of God. Now, what's the presence of God like? David gives us the answer in verse 11, doesn't he? In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice two things. There is fullness of joy and there are pleasures forever. This is quality fullness and quantity forever. What other path can offer you that? What path can offer you? you want joy? you want happiness? And as Blaise Pascal said, we're all seeking it. All men seek happiness. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. What Pascal said. He says, the soul makes not the least motion to anything that it does not think will make it happy. And it's the end of every single human act, even of those who hang themselves, because they think there's more joy in doing that than staying alive. So the key is here is to look and say, okay, what path will offer me the greatest joy for the longest period of time? You should be interested in that bargain. And God is going after both Christians and non-Christians this morning by laying his cards on the table and trumping whatever you have in your hand. He's coming after you and he's saying, listen, put it up, put it up, show it to me. 80 years, not bad. Okay, 80 years of joy, not bad. What's the quality of that joy during those 80 years? Is it full? No, there's been some trouble with it. Well, how about my offer? How about full joy forever? How about that? So I want to encourage you, Christian. Battle weary, struggling. You're on the right path. Stay there. The end will make amends for all. And you'll have plenty of help along the way, too. So when God... Lays his cards on the table and exposes what the ends of the path of life is like, we'd be fools to turn away. Because we're offered fullness of joy forever in the presence of God. Now, let me conclude where I began. Okay? So many people think that they know where the path of life is found. Let me ask this question in conclusion How can we be certain that what I just told you today? Is really where the path of life is found, and not one man and one preacher's opinion. I mean, we live in a pluralistic society, Mark. You're not being very tolerant. You're saying this is the path of life, you're saying this is the way it's found. I mean, that's kind of arrogant. How can we be certain that what I said you can take to the bank? Because the fulfillment of Psalm 16 has already taken place. This psalm has already been fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't believe me, or maybe you do believe me. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Give you the context quickly. Peter's preaching a sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he quotes Psalm 16. We'll start at verse 22. Here's Peter's sermon, talking to Jews. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Here's Peter's application of that. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would would set one of his descendants on his throne— He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Stop there. This is why we can be certain that this path of life that I've been talking about this morning really is the path of life and not some figment of my imagination. Because Jesus has gone through this path for us and has come out the other end alive. Jesus committed himself to God in eternity. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And then, over 2,000 years ago, he came to earth to execute that plan. He delighted in the saints from all eternity. That's the doctrine of election. He fixed his eyes on his people that he was coming for, and he said, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. My portion's not with them. I'm coming after my church. I'm going to go die for them. I've committed myself. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge and I'm going to earth. And he did. And during his 30 years on the earth, he set the Lord always before him. His counsel was with him in the night and he received it and submitted his life in obedience to God for us. Even as he sought refuge in God while he had to drink a different cup in the Garden of Gethsemane cup of god's wrath against our sin and he drank the cup and three days later he rose victorious conquering sin and death and hell and the grave the father did not abandon his son nor did he let his flesh see corruption but three days later he got him out of the tomb and because he didn't abandon his son we can be absolutely sure that he will not abandon us either if we are in his son if we are trusting in Jesus, the path of life is clear because the resurrection of Jesus is historical fact. It happened, it's not a myth. And if it happened and it's not a myth, and Peter quotes it, to quote Psalm 16 to say this was the path of life that Jesus followed, then we can be sure that by getting on it and staying on it that we will get there too. God will not abandon our souls to the grave. He will not leave us there. He will rescue us and usher us into his glorious, full, joyful, forever presence, forever. So are you on the path of life? And what more do you need this morning? What more evidence can I marshal toward you to get you, if you're an unbeliever, on it? Saying, you know what? right now in my pew, I'm closing with Jesus. This is done. I'm acknowledging my need. I'm submitting my life to his control. I'm we'll tell some other Christians about it. And I'm throwing in my lot with these people. We're willing to work with you through that process. Or I'm on the path by the grace of God. I'm staying there. I'm being tempted in many ways to get off of it these days. I'm not going to do that. That's foolish. And I just want to Strengthen your faith this morning and bolster it and encourage you to keep fighting. So, let's conclude with just a few questions, and then I'll pray. Just let these be evaluatory for you. Let them just wash over your mind and your heart and just evaluate yourself. Are you on the path of life? Have you submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ? Have you been baptized and come into covenant with a local church as a sign of your allegiance to Christ? Are you an object of God's preservation, protection, guidance, and guarding? Are you destined to leave the grave and be ushered into the joyful presence of God forever? You are destined to leave the grave. Everyone. Will leave the grave, but not everyone will be ushered into the joyful presence of God forever. If not, you can have that today. My prayer is that you would take it. You may have come in this this room on a completely different path, and it's called the highway to hell. Contrary to what ACDC sings about it, but by God's grace. You can make an exit and get on another highway. That's the gospel. The gospel allows you to make an exit and get on another highway. And Christian, the gospel allows you to fall into ditches and get out of them on the path of life. The gospel allows you. You can still be on the path of life and fall into a ditch. We don't say if somebody wrecks a car on 60, well, they're they're in a ditch. They're not on 60. No, they're in 60. They're on 60 in a ditch. So let's get them out, get out and get back on 60. So Christian, if you're in a ditch, get back on the path of life. Doesn't mean just because you've fallen in a ditch that you're off the path. It means you've fallen and you need to be recovered and get back on the path. But if you're not, if you're on a different highway, you need to make an exit, use your turn signal, and then ease on up on a different road. My prayer for you is that that would. Be- Father, we close this service just by thanking you that you have made known to us the path of life and we're not in the dark anymore. We thank you that it's clear from your word. It's clear from other places besides Psalm 16. We could go 100 different places. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you for David's example. And thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfilled it all for us. We pray all this in his name.